fight after the service. Um, yeah, so we're going to do it now. Yeah. yeah. That wasn't a high five. That was like that a... That was like a pops thing, but weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> White girls, eh? Um, so... <laughs> can I pray for you, please? please? Yeah, great. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the word that came um, to be with us. And I thank you that you are here with us now. We pray that as Jessie shares um, that her passion for you and for the call you have given her would kind of overflow, that um, she would have joy in sharing these words and that our hearts and minds and ears would be um, ready and attentive to what you are saying. Um, We thank you for your goodness and just pray your blessing on this time together. Um, Jesse, um, I am now 26 years old and I have a cold, so apologies for my croaky voice. Um, um, yeah, and this is the first time that I've spoken at Blueprint, so Grace. Cool, <laughs> um, so today we are looking at Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Um, and... Um, I'm going to go into reading the passage, but just before we do it, just thought I'd share a couple of things that I found out about it, which I really appreciated. Um, Part of the peculiarity of this passage is that in Greek, it's just one really, really long sentence. Um, And apparently, it's beautiful. It's like incredibly well-crafted. Paul put all this effort into bringing all these ideas together um, to create this epic beginning to his letter um, and that kind of gets a little bit lost in the English translation because it's just a whole lot of conditional clauses. So they just break it up into lots of different sentences. But it's nice to remember that this is um, all one big thing. He just like can't stop talking and just runs out of breath eventually. Um, I read this quote and it says, Paul starts out with the most immediate and evident effect and evident fact and tells us what that is and then something else comes into view and he puts that in and glory flashes upon glory here until he has this tremendously tremendously complicated sentence which includes vast and almost indescribable riches Um, and I really like that and so thinking about that um, we're just going to read through the passage and I've got two translations so and I couldn't choose which one to read so we're just going to read both with a little pause in the middle just like you know good uh, in the middle of readings and prayers and stuff like that Cool. Um, so I'm going to start reading and um, yeah, just um, maybe keep in mind what words stand out to you while I'm reading through this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his great pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put to effect when the times reached their fulfilment, 
to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. How blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master Jesus Christ and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved Son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We're a free people, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation, found yourselves home free, signed, sealed and delivered by the Holy Spirit. The signet from God is the first instalment in what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. There's so much goodness in it. Um, cool, so I've read this passage so many times and just every time something new stands out to me but there are three things that I wanted to focus on um, in this talk and the first is that we are adopted as sons and daughters of God and the second is that as family God blesses us richly and the thirdly that all of this is because we are in Christ so I'm going to go through each of these and um, then for each one I've kind of reflected a little bit on what a challenge might be Um, for me and hopefully that also is something that might apply to you so firstly we are adopted as sons and daughters of God so in verse 4 and 5 it says long before he laid down the earth's foundations he had us in mind had settled on us as the focus of his love so because I'm a total nerd and also because I did law um, I heard adoption and automatically went to like what was the legal like what is legal adoption um, it's a very old act and it's really um, 
sexist writing. It talks about the child being him. But anyway, we're going to move on from that. Um, and, um, yeah, I thought I'd read that out because it's actually really interesting and it really helped me frame up what this was about. So the effect of adoption that the, is that the adopted child shall be deemed to become the child of the adopted parent and the adopted parent shall be deemed to be the parent of the child as if the child had been born to that parent. Um, more importantly, the adopted child shall be deemed to cease to be the child of the existing parents and the existing parents of the adopted child uh, deemed to cease to be his parents. Um, so putting aside what we might think about whether that's the purpose, um, as an adoption act for New Zealand. Um, <laughs> in effect, adoption means that there is no longer any legal right between their biological parents over the child. Instead, the adopted parents become the legal guardians. They have all the rights. So when we think about God adopting us, we think that no longer we are the children of this world, but we are God's children. The effect of this world, the effect of the adoption is to remove any right of the world, any right that it might have over us. We are no longer the world's, we are God's. So we can celebrate that we are God's children and he is our father. An interesting point to note about this passage is that none of the pronouns are plural. I mean, sorry, not all the pronouns are plural. (laughs) Uh, That would be fun. Um, There is no I in this. So we can't claim our status as an adopted child um, just as a collection of individual believers, but we can only claim it as as a communal relationship. There's not a together alone thing going on here. And although while we definitely do need to have a personal relationship with Jesus, Paul reminds us here that it's the cliche doing life together that's important. One of the beautiful things of being family is learning to deal with difference. And this is what the whole of the book of Ephesians is on. Learning to live together despite difference. And I was thinking about what we do in our lives that demonstrate us coming together as family. And I was thinking about the Eucharist. Um, And so last year at Kick-Ass Theological Roadshow, enrollment's still open, um, we did a paper on the Eucharist as a sacrament and as worship. And one of the ways to think about it is to focus on the fact that as we've come to the table, it's the great equaliser. Regardless of our background, we share in this the simplest of meals, and in doing so, acknowledge our need for Christ. We who are many become one body, for we all share the one bread. When we take the bread and wine, I remember that we are taking this as a symbol of the body of Christ coming into ourselves, and we are reminded that we are the body of Christ to the world. We can't be individuals anymore in joining in this act. And there's this quote which I love which says, We then become the food for the world, to be broken, to be given away, to be consumed, and to be the very body of Christ in history. So the challenge for me in this. The call to family can be challenging. There is the challenge in this of losing your individual identity and replacing it in this new identity of being of the family. For some like me, being identified in a group wasn't always a great thing. I'm one of four kids, and my parents always do that thing where they like run through all the names before they finally get to mine when they talk to me. And now it's not even just my sister's names, it's also my niece's names, who are four and one, that they still get to before they come to my name. Um, so I kind of had this idea growing up that God did the same thing when I'd be like, oh, hey, God, and he'd be like, oh, hey, blah, 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 and finally get to my name. 
that he didn't really know me as a personal, like, you know, a personal single relationship um, because of this whole, like, group thing. And so that was a really, when I read this, it's a real strong challenge for me. My need to be known as myself stopped me believing that God could call uh, a people and a group together in a way that could actually be greater than the whole. Um, Or rather, I couldn't understand the reasons of joining into something when there wasn't a clear benefit to me. Um, Our society wants us to distinguish ourselves, and our society tells us that the only person we can trust is ourselves. When we're called together as a family, we need to do so despite and perhaps because of our need for independence. Ephesians is a letter about living together in the midst of human differences. We have to learn to submit our need for independence to live in our new Christ-given family identity. We don't forget who we are and we don't get forgotten in doing so. But I do think in believing and living like we are family with other believers, we sometimes need to forego ourselves in order to be the body of Christ. So how would we respond if God called us to do something that would decrease our independence and freedom so that we might better serve them? So the second point that I wanted to bring out was around God blessing us. And in verse 6 he says he wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. So in the Old Testament we see God first choosing a person and then a family and then a people and finally a nation to be his chosen people. And that chosen people, these were blessed by um, God and there was this abundant blessing. The promise God made Um, by the time Christ had come, was the promise that the Jewish people had relied on, and that was a large part of their identity. But this letter was written predominantly to a Gentile congregation, so they didn't have that background, they didn't have that identity. In fact, they would probably have never expected to be part of God's blessing. More likely, the identity would be that of the other. Identity formed around what they were not, rather than what they were. This may seem like a bit of a tangent, and it is, but I do want to talk a little bit about predestination here. Um, (laughs) Because I had a seasonal guide group, and Era was like, yeah, you probably need to cover that off. Um, (laughs) So thanks. Um, Caveat, I'm not a theologian. Um, I don't know heaps about predestination. But um, for those who are confused about what it is and why it might relate to this passage, um, the word does come up quite a few times in this. Um, that God predestined us. Um, essentially, the, the, the nub of the issue gets to being is that if you believe that in that God is choosing who is saved, then you also are saying that potentially God's not saving people. Um, and so kind of intention between that and, and free will. Um, so if we're talking about blessing here, who are we actually talking about? The focus of predestination is used in this passage to not show some kind of limited salvation, but for the opposite reason, to show that these Gentiles who have this identity of being the other, who would have never considered themselves as able to be blessed by God, that they are exactly that, they are family now, and that they are blessed by God. And that this wasn't just something that they've joined into, but that that was always the plan. From the beginning, God had always planned for this blessing to apply to them as well as Israel. When we go through this history, instead of seeing it ending with a nation, we can really see that that's just kind of like a stop before Jesus. And now with Jesus, this blessing is for all nations, all people. There's no criteria you need to meet before God is willing to bless you. 
It's given freely and abundantly. And this blessing being talked about, it covers our sins as if they didn't happen. So the challenge for me in this, sometimes I can be selfish with this blessing that I have. I forget that I am being redeemed from my sins and just focus on what I can get from God and what he's not giving me. I get jealous when it looks like God is answering the prayers of other believers and not mine. And even though apparently, according to my strengths finder, Achiever is number 33 and competition is number 29, if you know me, you know how much I love winning. And you also know that I'm a really sore loser. (laughs) Sometimes it can be hard to remember that this blessing is for everyone's redemption and not just for mine. The passage calls us to revel in the blessings um, that we may, for those who we may not have considered previously to be part of this family. It challenges me again to remember that it's not me who decides who is part of this family. It also challenges me to believe that this blessing is poured out for everyone regardless of what their circumstances are. Again, there is no criteria we have to fill before we are eligible for God to bless us. We have been leaning into the prophetic here at Blueprint and the works of the Holy Spirit and to believe that this redemption can break through in our lives in the this way. And the challenge is to continue to lean in. And for me, that's a huge challenge to believe that more could happen in our lives. So the question that I have to end this on is where are we not expecting or accepting blessing in our lives? And where are we not accepting or expecting blessing in the lives of others? So the third point that I have is around being in Christ. And this is kind of the point that ties all of this together, or hopefully does. (laughs) These words in Christ are used ten times throughout the scripture passage. So remember that this is one sentence in Greek, and he uses these words or variations of them. Ten times. It's excessive. So it's got to be important. Um, Without it, the rest of what he's saying doesn't make sense. Being in Christ allows us to be adopted and to live as family, but it also gives that position the meaning that it's meant to have. And being in Christ, all of what we do is because we are in Christ. It's a place that we don't earn. Being in Christ reminds us that when we are talking about blessing, It isn't an exclusive rewards gift system. It's blessing for redeeming the world because it is in Christ the Redeemer who does this. Sally Brown says this, which I love. In Christ, we are transported to a new world. Being in Christ reframes everything. We see ourselves and one another, neighbour or stranger, in a fresh way. In Christ, every experience is reframed from our most bracing joys and cherished achievements to our besetting temptations, our most anguished regrets, our most wounding losses. In Christ, we are joined to the power and presence of God. In Christ, we are knit to others who will cry over our dead with us even as they help us sing hymns of resurrection. At the same time, being in Christ is no sentimental togetherness. As in Christ, community has to reckon with the fact that it will be perceived at times as more of a threat than a blessing. Part of the community's calling is to be truth-telling, truth-living reflection of the God who has called it into being. For me, this challenge, it needs to be something other than just 
because of my own difficulties with the word. It's a challenge and it's a call to action. It looks like showing... For me, it looks like thinking how I am showing people that they are loved in Christ, even when they look different to me. I have an amazing group of Christian friends, but unless I am actually genuinely telling people about Jesus, what am I doing? I am called as an adopted child of God, as part of his family, to share this news about the blessing that I have with everyone I meet. And my challenge is if I'm actually doing this, or is it just paying lip service? To go back to Sally's quote, um, part of the community's calling is to be truth-telling, truth-living reflection. Um, We have this calendar at home from the Catholic workers, and the the month's quote is from Dorothy Day. Um, And she was a strong believer in pacifism and this belief in the midst of wartime America caused many to walk away from the movement that she started. But she's quoted as saying, don't worry about being effective, just concentrate on being faithful to the truth. And for me, this kind of sums up what it means to be in Christ. Why these two words are so key to understanding the nature of our adoption and blessing that we've just talked about. It's not about being the biggest movement, but it's about holding fast to the truth and living that out day after day after day. What would change if we were faithful to the truth in every part of our life? Um, I didn't really find a way to close this, so I'm going to get the worship team up. Maybe just before we begin, we can find a way to reflect um, again on a word or phrase that stood out, maybe from my talk or from the passage itself, and what a challenge might be for you to focus on. Remembering that we're family here, we want to support you, and if you need prayer, feel free to ask someone you trust, or just go by the cross, and someone will be happy to pray for you.